Welcome to Master Your Money, the podcast that teaches you how to take control of your hard-earned money all while living your best life. I am your host, Elizabeth Heiza, Chief Marketing Officer at the Barnum Financial Group. I once felt powerless when it came to managing my finances and my attitude follows suit until one day I changed my mindset, built up my knowledge, and put myself back into a financial position of power. And I started this podcast to provide you with the same education and advice that I received on my journey. Now, I wanna help you master your money. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to today's show. Today, our guest is Jason Bayek, a certified financial planner with Barnum Financial Group. Jay has been with our firm for over 14 years, and I've had the pleasure of knowing Jay that entire time. I'm going to get into Jay's topic in a minute, but just human to human, Jay is one of those people who you just like instantly. He's such a person of quality. He's just a fun guy to be around. He knows a lot about a lot of things. I follow him on Instagram and he's an avid fisherman amongst other things. He's just a very interesting person. And I've cherished knowing you all of these years, Jay, and you constantly add value and humor to to every conversation you're in. So I'm really looking forward to today. Elizabeth, thank you for that incredible, wonderful intro. Uh, I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm happy to be on your podcast. Thank you for hosting <laughs> me. And I'm certainly happy to talk about a, a concept, uh, an advanced concept that we work with a lot here at Barnum mm-hmm. and with a lot of our clients. And uh, I'm happy to go through the strategy today. Beautiful. So yes, Jay is here to talk about a very advanced life insurance strategy called premium financing. Jay works a lot in this niche space. Like I said, the the concept is um, a bit advanced and it is complex, but Jay is going to break it down for us and make it as simple as humanly possible. Um, So Jay, why don't you kick us off and just start with what is premium financing? Yeah, so premium financing uh, is a a niche insurance strategy. Uh, It's a complex insurance strategy when you get into the details of execution. But if we're just looking at it from a high-level overview, effectively what premium financing is, is to use a dedicated line of credit to fund ongoing premium requirements for a permanent life insurance policy. These policies are secured primarily by the policy's cash value and secondarily by potentially external collateral. So basically, instead of an individual or a trust funding its own life insurance premiums, they're borrowing those life insurance premiums from a dedicated facility like a bank. Mm -hmm. And on an ongoing basis, they may be continuing to either fund interest or partially pay back the principal on an ongoing basis. So it's basically using a dedicated lending facility to fund premiums as opposed to the individual or trust funding premiums out of pocket. Interesting. Why would somebody want to do that? What is the advantage to the policyholder or the policy owner to do that? So a couple of- That's probably a big question too. That, that, that's a big question. We'll go through <laughs> the advantages. We'll also talk about the disadvantages today. 
But some of the main advantages to using premium finance or using a a dedicated lending facility to fund premiums is to get more premiums into a policy than maybe what one would want to fund out of pocket. So effectively, you're getting leverage for additional death benefit, leverage for additional cash value. And that allows the individual or the entity, maybe it's a trust funding the policies to uh, have better control or a lower out-of-pocket cash flow requirement. So higher initial death benefits, higher potential cash value, lower out-of-pocket premium contributions or cash flow contributions by the individual or the entity uh, that owns the policy. So the individual or entity is, is keeping the cash in their pocket. You got it. What are other advantages? One of the main advantages that we see uh, is in the estate planning space. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we will use premium financing as part of the overall estate plan. And one of the reasons why is when we look at the efficiency of our gifting. So as you know, we're allowed to gift on an annual basis up to our annual gift exclusion without having to file gift tax return. Secondarily, we have a lifetime exemption for over and above our annual gift exclusions. When we put cash into a trust to pay for life insurance premiums, we're basically getting a one-for-one dollar exemption, meaning if I put $10,000 into a trust and I'm using those $10,000 to fund life insurance premiums, I'm getting a one-to-one exemption. Mm -hmm. $1 a gift for $1 premium. When it comes to premium finance, let's just use the example of, let's just say I'm putting a million dollars of premium into the policy. If the bank or the lending facility is funding the million dollars, none of that counts towards my gift exemption. Now, please make sure that you're working with your financial planner and your state planning attorney to do this effective and to do this correctly. Goes without saying. None of those premium dollars that the bank funded counts against my lifetime exemption or my annual gift exclusion. The only portion that would count against my lifetime gift exemption or my annual exclusion is if I made any gifts to the trust to either service interest or pay down any portion of the loan itself. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit, Elizabeth, because I talked yeah. about some of the what premium finance is, and I talked about some of the benefits, but I think it's also important to understand how these strategies are structured. Please. So with these life insurance policies, there's, there's a couple of key elements of the design. So with the design, the emphasis is on building cash value. So typically, you're using policies such as full life yeah. or index universal life. Policies that don't necessarily have the potential of a negative cash flow based on the performance of the policy, uh, but also the emphasis that the policy itself will accumulate cash. This is typically why we don't see guaranteed universal life or term insurance policies as the insurance vehicles in premium finance, because they do not build up enough cash value to be able to be used as collateral Again, life insurance policy is the primary collateral for the loans that you're receiving from the lending facility. Mm-hmm. Variable life doesn't work. The banks and the lending facilities generally aren't willing to lend on a variable universal life. As far as the financing design is concerned, ongoing interest or debt is to be paid annually. 
So once you have the loan, let's just say the bank pays in, make up a number here, a million dollars of premium into the policy for you. Typically, the, the way that it's structured is you will fund a portion, if not all of the interest. Typically, it's all of the interest on that loan. On an annual basis, you will fund out of pocket. That will be your financial contribution to the strategy. Your out of pocket cash flow will go towards paying down interest on those loans. Typically, those loans are on a variable basis on whatever interest rate mark they want to use. So maybe it's SOFR, it used to be LIBOR, maybe they'll use Prime as the interest rate benchmark. Plus or minus a spread, whatever the, the bank builds in. As far as unwinding the loan or paying off the loan with the bank, typically that can happen one of three ways or maybe a combination of all three. The first and foremost that you want to make sure that your policy has the potential to do is that the cash value distributions from the policy can pay off its own loan, meaning removing cash from the policy pay off the principal or the outstanding loan balance with the bank. And that way, your relationship with the bank is over. The premium financing strategy is self-sufficient moving forward. And any loans are now built into the policy itself. And Jay, if I could just interrupt you for a second, that's something that you as the, the planner will do with the client ahead of time. You'll map all of that out ahead of time through the, you know, not through the process. You got it. We always want to enter the strategy with a very clear vision of what we want the outcome to be. Sure. The most conservative outcome is to structure it in a way that the life insurance policy itself can unwind its own loan. Okay. Right. That's the base case. Yeah. However, we can always repay the, the loan back in other ways. We can use uh, external liquidity, meaning I can come out of pocket myself to fund more or to pay down the loans faster. And typically we see this with a lot of external liquidity events. So we'll see this like with business owners where they may need large amounts of life insurance. Now they may not necessarily have the cash flow to support their premiums that they need. That's why they go borrow them, but they expect to sell their business a few years down the road, right? In that case, they'll have the external liquidity event. They may not want to use internal values itself to unwind the loan. They may want to use that external liquidity event. Uh, we also see this with uh, real estate developers or people that are heavily concentrated in real assets, as opposed to stocks, bonds, mutual funds, more liquid assets, knowing that they'll sell a building down the road, they'll have an external liquidity event. They can use those proceeds to pay down the loan. And the final stop is the death benefit or the death of the insured. So if we never have an opportunity or we purposely do not structure it in a way to purposely pay down from the policy itself or an external liquidity event, when the insured passes away, the lending facility or the bank would receive proceeds first and the beneficiaries of the policy second. So those are the three ways typically that we see the unwinding of a of unwinding of a strategy. Ooh, that's a lot, Jay. You are smart. It, it sounds like a lot, but just to simplify, <laughs> it's really just two things happening in conjunction. And this is just where the confusion lies. Yes. One, you have a life insurance policy that accrues cash value. Yep. On the other side, we are borrowing to fund premiums that yep. we will eventually pay that loan back either from the policy itself 
or external values. And it, it's, a, it's a pretty simple strategy when we look at sure. it from the 10,000 foot view. Yes. As we are developing the strategy and implementing the strategy, it does and can feel. <laughs> there, there's a, there's a, a lot in there, which is wonderful. And clearly, you know the process and you've clearly done this once or twice before at least. But um, is it typically banks that are doing the lending? Often there are banks and then often there are uh, lending facilities that purely only do this, right? So really? you actually see some of the larger banks that do offer loans against yep. insurance policies. And then there's also dedicated lending facilities. There's a lot of different companies out there where they only specialize in uh, lending against uh, life insurance policies. And I would imagine those lending facilities, whether it's a bank or dedicated facility, for this purpose, that they have their own lending criteria. And how sophisticated is that? It's very sophisticated. And the first and most important aspect that they have to have in-house is a really good understanding of how these life insurance policies work. Yeah. Right. And once they do, it's, it's one of the reasons why they love to lend against them. So let's just use whole life as an example. Yeah. Whole life, as we know, grows on a guaranteed basis plus whatever dividends that the company may be paying to the policy or policy holders. Uh, the bank would feel very comfortable lending against that because they have a very clear and predictable path as to the growth of the cash value, which is the primary collateral that they're lending against. They also have a very clear path on how the death benefit will perform into the future. So for them, it's a very safe asset to lend against. And it's typically why we see very favorable rates when it comes to lending against a policy. You know, you mentioned the advantage of, you know, you have the, uh, some gifting advantages, you have the, um, you, you know, more cash in your pocket. You mentioned that. Is there a difference in what the consumer is paying in interest versus what they would have paid in premium? How big is that gap or small is that gap? Very, very, very significant gap. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's let's just think about this. Let's use a million dollars again as an example of the premium. Mm-hmm. So again, typically with cash accumulating policies, let's use whole life as an example, or even index universal life as an example. What you want to do is max fund these policies. So pay the most amount of premiums you can in for the least amount of years. The least amount can. of time. And that way we increase the cash value, yep. make it a, a safer and more predictable strategy and less need for external collateral over and above the life insurance policy itself. So if we are funding in a million dollars and let's just say we're using SOFR plus a spread, maybe our interest rate currently is SOFR plus 2%. And by the way, it it varies greatly when you go from bank to bank and from premium to premium Mm -hmm. or premium size, what those rates or what those spreads might be. But let's just say all land, maybe it's six or seven percent, or even last year was probably less than three percent. We know these rate benchmarks have fluctuated greatly with inflation and where interest rates were last year. At a five percent rate on a million dollars, that's fifty thousand dollars as an out-of-pocket contribution. But yet a million dollars of premium got into the policy, right? So there is a huge gap. Huge gap there. Thank you. Jason, you mentioned that the typical life insurance vehicle is a a cash value life insurance policy, a whole life life insurance policy, or an indexed universal life policy. 
Can those be used interchangeably? Is one better than the other? What are the difference? You know, what's your, what's the difference there, or what do you typically use? That's a great question. And for people who have looked at premium finance before they had the opportunity to speak with us, that's usually their first question: Should we use whole life, or should we use index universal life? There's not a right or wrong answer. The only correct answer is that you understand the potential upsides and the potential downsides to using both. All right, so let's look at index universal life first. And so one of the benefits of index universal life is we have the potential for upside capture and whatever our underlying investments perform. So if we're invested in the S&P 500 and the S&P 500 does great over the lifetime of us having those policies, well, we're going to see higher than expected cash values, higher than expected death benefits, uh, and it'll also reduce the risk that's in our loan. Uh, if the policy underperforms, so typically on index universal life, there's a floor on investment performance. So with that floor, and that floor is usually zero. If we're performing at zero, well, it's quite possible that our loan and our loan interest is significantly, significantly higher than what we expected. Right. So we already have the variable loan and the, and the risk of variable loan interest by integrating index universal life as our underlying investment strategy, we're adding on an additional risk, which is market risk. That additional risk could perform great. The policy performs really, really well, or it could hurt us if the policy does not perform as expected because we've introduced market risk. Whole life, on the other hand, has a much more predictable growth pattern. Right, so we have a guaranteed growth pattern on the guaranteed side of our ledger, plus whatever, and plus whatever the dividends that the company pays. So we have a much more consistent outcome, or there's a much smaller or a much narrower range of outcomes with whole life than what we could get from an index universal life strategy. So we have not introduced market risk. However, we may not receive that same upside potential that we could get from the index universal life. So where we have the variability of interest is a risk, that same risk is something that could potentially help us with whole life. So typically dividends in a whole life strategy are going to be highly correlated to interest rates. So when interest rates are very, very high, whole life tends to pay higher dividends. Mm -hmm. When interest rates go down, whole life tends to pay lesser dividends. So the same risk that we have on one side of the equation, which could hurt us with increased interest payments out of pocket, that could also help the underlying investment performance. So typically when we're looking at just comparing the two, typically we're taking on a little bit more risk with index universal life. And in return, what we might see are it is an outperforming policy. For whole life, we're significantly mitigating our risk uh, for a much narrower range of outcomes without the potential of you know the, those equity-like returns that we could see in the index universal life strategy. Got it. Understood. So like everything we've learned so far, you have to look at each option, pros and cons, and make the very best decision for your Perfect. situation. Right. If if you if you are not risk adverse, we often will use index universal life. If you are very risk adverse, we'll often lean on whole life. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Jason, I would imagine that consumers or your clients 
don't bring this up to you. It's typically you suggesting this type of concept. What does somebody's life or business have to look like for you to say, hey, I think premium financing could be a concept that could be interesting to you? So typically we see this with high net worth individuals. And we also see this with high income earners. I mean, income earners, a million, two, three, four, five, yeah. 10 million plus. Often on the net worth side, even if they're not high income earners, we're seeing net worths of probably 10 million and above. So less about how you earn your income and more about just the income, the net worth itself. You got it. Now, there are some consistencies with the types of people that find this uh, beneficial for their planning strategy. So we Mm -hmm. often see this like with doctors. Mm -hmm. To the doctor, very often we see this with professional athletes. Very often we see this with business owners. Very often we also see this, and I mentioned this before: real estate developers and people that have a lot of investments in real estate, and that mainly on that side, particularly because those assets are less liquid. So, if we need to get the level of uh, premiums that we need, they may not necessarily have the cash flow to support those level of premiums, but they can certainly. Uh, support collateral, and they can certainly support a liquidity event, you know, with the sale of buildings down the road. At what stage of, of life do you notice that people are implementing this strategy? And most, is it mostly like when they're getting serious about their estate plan, when they're starting to think about transferring assets, when they start to think about gifting, is that usually when you start to have these conversations? We see this in a couple of different scenarios. The first one being the first one that you mentioned with the estate plan. So we start looking at the estate plan, the amount of insurance that's needed, and then maximizing the gifting strategy. Remember, with premium finance rating, we're going to get significant leverage on the gifts that we make because we're the, only the gifts that count are the gifts that we use to service interest or to pay down the principal. The premium itself does not count towards the gift. So it's a, a very efficient tool when done correctly with the estate plan. We also see this with people that are getting ready to have a significant liquidity event somewhere down the road. So that would include business owners. So we know that- Who are looking to sell. We're looking to sell. You got it, right? Looking to sell, we know that they may not have an estate tax issue now, but post-sale, they may certainly have an estate tax issue and we want to get ahead of the curve and protect their beneficiaries now and protect their overall estate uh, state tax burden that they may have in the future now, getting the strategy in place, getting the right amount of coverage in place now is important, um, but we but we still want to be mindful of what their cash flow is. What does timeline look like here? I mean, I know we, we did, um, I had our director, our vice president of operations on, and we were talking about the timeline from beginning of uh, signing an application to when the application gets enforced. What does that look like here? So you have your typical life insurance underwriting. That doesn't change. Maybe we add on another week or two uh, just due to the fact that the insurers, the carriers have some additional requirements when premium Mm -hmm. financing is in place. The extra time mostly is due to securing funding with the lending facilities. Sure. And that can take as little as a couple of weeks to sometimes a few months 
really depends on what the bank is looking for. And every bank is different and every bank's underwriting process looks different. Sure. Um, also, every borrower, their their credit may look very different. I don't mean their credit score. I mean, how good of an applicant they are for the financing will look very sure. different, right? So sure. when someone's looking to apply and the majority of their assets are just simply stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, that's an easy one. Sure. Um, when we're looking for someone who's applying for a loan that has a bunch of businesses that they currently run, They're, they are general partners on a lot of different companies that they run, uh, then that underwriting process would take longer. Yeah, that's more complex. They're going to ask for more paperwork. It's just going to extend that timeline. Also with the timeline, because it does integrate with the estate plan, we'll meet a bunch of people who may not have the right estate planning documents in place. So one thing that I failed to mention in the beginning of this call, most banks want to lend to an outside entity. So typically what they want to lend to is a trust or they would like to lend to an LLC. Most banks do not want to lend to the individual themselves. So meaning Elizabeth, if you're doing your estate plan and uh, for your family and your children, you would have a trust set up. The bank would be making loans to the trust. The policy would be owned by the trust. Uh, Often when we start the strategy and we start educating our clients on the strategy, a lot of the times it's at the very beginning of the estate planning process. So they also still need to go down the the route of meeting with their estate planning attorneys and building the estate plan and getting the appropriate trust opened before we can even go down the route of finding funding. Got it. Got it. Let you said something interesting. Let's t- I want to hear about this from the carrier's perspective. Is this, and you don't have to get in, into specifics because I'm sure it's different case by case, but is this something every life insurance carrier offers? Is there specific carriers that are more competitive than others? Great question. So as far as carriers and what works within these strategies, the key is going to be accumulating cash value. Right, so the companies that focus on permanent life insurance that accumulates cash value and does so on a consistent, reliable, and usually fast basis, those are the carriers that are most competitive in the space. Right, so companies that focus on limited pay, whole life life insurance policies, and companies that focus on Max funding index universal life strategies. Those are generally the carriers that you see in the space. And naturally, because they focus on those types of policies, and naturally because those policies work the best in premium financing, those are generally the carriers that are easiest to work with in the paperwork and everything that's sure. required to get the premium financing up and running with the banks. Sure. And then the life insurance process is is pretty much the same, just as if you were buying a traditional, uh, a whole life policy or IUL, you're going to have to go through underwriting. They're going to look at your health. They're going to pull doctor's notes. All that exists in this space as well. There's no exception to that here. Absolutely. Absolutely. At the end of the day, what the life insurance company is primarily focused on is their ability to pay claims and their ability to pay claims lies in their mortality tables and what they expect um, from their mortality and expense ratios. Yes. So none of that changes. None of that changes. Okay. Wish sometimes wishful thinking. Unfortunately, you still have to go through the underwriting process. I shouldn't be unfortunately. I mean, as long as you have 
all of your ducks in a row. You're able to access your medical records. Of course. You're able to set up a timely exam. And as far as the financials, you're able to get the financials over to the, the, the bank or the lending facility. None of this should take that long. Because the policy is so much larger than, than tip, you know, than the average, is there any additional life insurance underwriting that's done? Do they look into your medical history a little bit deeper than they normally would? I would imagine they look into your financials a little bit deeper. The, the main part is the financials. They want to make yeah. sure that even though that you're doing the premium financing, do you have the financials to be able to fund interest? Um, are you in a financial position where this is a good fit for you? So generally this fits underneath you know, the general insurance suitability does this strategy make sense for your financial situation? The, those are the additional checks and balances that the insurance carrier is making. Beautiful. Jay, in the beginning, you know, we talked about the few reasons why this is an advantageous strategy. What are some of the setbacks here? When does this not work out? What are some disadvantages? Absolutely. And, and these are the things that we spend the most time with, with our clients and prospects around this strategy, because on paper, the strategy sounds great. And in, mm -hmm. in a perfect world, the strategy does work great. Uh, but it's very important to mitigate all the potential risk factors that go into that. So we want, always want to make sure that people are very, very aware of all the potential risk factors. So whether it's whole life or whether it's index universal life, you have these base factors that could be a risk. Number one is that, first of all, we are on a variable interest rate loan most of the time. There are some lending facilities that are willing to have a fixed interest rate loan, but most banks want to compete in the variable. Like I said before, some interest mm -hmm. rate benchmark like SOFR or Prime, plus or minus a spread. Got it. So one of the main risks there is that you may end up funding more interest than what you anticipated. So you could have budgeted in X amount over the next five, 10, 15 years. And as it turns out, you may end up funding more. Um, I know you can't, you're going to have to give a range here because every case is different, but typically how long does the client have to fund, fund the policy before it pays for itself? And there are so many factors that go into this question. So I am way oversimplifying, but just, you know, roundabout number. It really depends on how you structure it. Right? This, sure. this is one of the, the most important uh, ingredients for success in this strategy is making sure that you fund it correctly from the onset. Mm -hmm. This is a systemic problem that we see across the industry is we'll often uh, receive illustrations or we'll have people review something that maybe was presented from another planner that shows them minimally funding these strategies out of pocket, but yet reaping all the benefits from the strategies. So we always want to fund this in a way that we want, again, to mitigate all the potential risk factors in funding it in a way to mitigate uh, to the most that we can. So funding all of your interest out of pocket over the years on a limited pay whole life, like a 10 pay, you may be funding out of pocket interest anywhere between eight to 16 years, really. And, and I know, you know, you're talking no, too, that's okay. but, but it really depends on the age of the insured. Sure. Policy performance, the type of loan that you have, and whether or not you decide to fund all of the interest out of pocket yourself. Understood. Fair. A variable interest loan. Yep. So a variable something interest to, loan. Something to consider. What else? It, 
Uh, so one of the risks there is that you may end up funding more interest than what you anticipated. Right. So that's certainly a risk. Uh, another risk is the policy doesn't perform as well as you expected it to. So it could take longer for the policy to accumulate cash in order to dissolve the loan or unwind the loan that you have with the lending facility. So strategies like whole life will help mitigate that because whole life grows on a very predictive, uh, predictable pattern uh, on a guaranteed basis plus dividends. Sure. Index universal life, well, there's a possibility that it could take substantially longer to be able to unwind the loan or it could be substantially less time to unwind the loan. Really depends on the underlying performance of the index universal life policy itself. With that said, again, in the beginning years of these strategies, the loans themselves are going to be 100% collateralized. The primary collateral is going to be the life insurance policy itself. But you also then will need to have secondary collateral to pledge against the loan. So in the beginning years of life insurance policies, as you're aware, cash value grows, grows slowly. Mm -hmm. So in early on, you have the whole life policy or the index universal life policy as collateral, but you may also need to pledge additional collateral. This additional collateral could be cash. It could be stocks. It could be bonds. It could be mutual funds. Uh, certain lending facilities will allow you to uh, collateralize things like real estate, uh, but you certainly need to post outside collateral. So if you have an underperforming policy, it's possible that you may need to post more collateral than what you originally anticipated or post collateral for longer than you had originally anticipated because it took a longer time for cash value to accumulate inside the policy. You mentioned these two. Is there any other real disadvantage or anything that you feel like you need to get out there as a caution? The many of the banks will also have a demand line structure, which means that their notes could be potentially callable. So you may have a loan in place and the bank may decide that they no longer want to keep that loan on the books. They could potentially call that loan. Mm. So even when you're looking for a lender or a lending facility, it's important to read the, the fine print and to understand who is your partner in this relationship. Mm -hmm. and how sustainable they are for the long term on the lending. Uh, it's really, really important that you work with a team that does this, does this all the time, has yes. a high level of expertise, has relationships with the bank's relationship go a long way. Yes. Uh, these strategies can be complex in the execution, although we feel they're very simple in concept. Certainly are, but lots of things to take into consideration, which to your point, Jay, you need to work with people who know this space, who have the right relationship, who know the right questions to ask, who know the risks that need to be taken into consideration. Absolutely. Absolutely. But when done correctly, strategy is awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. When done, when done correctly, what you should see is higher internal rates of return on cash value, higher internal rates of return on death benefit. Effectively, all this is, is it's leverage, right? In, in interest rate arbitrage. If we expect our policies to outperform what we pay in interest, both from a cash value perspective and a death benefit perspective, we have a tremendous amount of leverage and we have uh, a leverage on our benefits. 
it, it works really well when, when done correctly. Oh, I'm sure. But, but I, I asterisk the when done correctly. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's so, so important to work, work with a team that does this on a consistent basis and has these relationships, has the ability to execute and is taking a lot of time to thoughtfully think about the potential things that could make the strategy underperform and to try to mitigate those risks from the onset. Yep. Jay, this was an unbelievable episode. I'm quite positive you have introduced and very nicely um, explained a very complex concept. So thank you for your explanation. Thank you for all of the knowledge and education. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Master Your Money. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Every little bit helps. You can also follow us on our Instagram at Barnum Financial Group. If you're interested in connecting or working with a financial advisor at the Barnum Financial Group, the links are in the show notes of this episode. All opinions expressed by the program participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions their respective parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the program participants are affiliated. Investments or strategies mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you, and you should make your own independent decision regarding them. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You should strongly consider seeking advice from your own investment advisor. Securities and investment advisory services offered through qualified registered representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC. Member SIPC, 6 Corporate Drive, Shelton, Connecticut, 06484, telephone number 203-513-6000.